just three days ago, we all gathered and we were invited to gather at the manger. Many thousands came and worshiped Christmas Eve for that. Now we are poised at the door, ready to, to bust into 2016. We're ready to go do what it is that Jesus told us to do, go make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey all that I've taught you. And he told us how to do it. He said, do it in love. So now we're poised, ready to go do that. But we need to stop and pause to make sure that we're all speaking the same language. For if we did a poll and we asked all of us, what is the definition of love? Is it likely that we would get the same answer? Or is it likely that we would get many different answers, perhaps even depending on what kind of mood we were in? So, to help us understand the language that God wants us to speak, we're gonna do a little exercise here. We need all of us to, to pitch in and think about those messages that we've gotten from culture that we want to understand that might trip us up in our understanding of what, what God's voice tells us. So think about some of those love songs and do this online. By the way, if you have uh, uh, the, um, what's it, the worship guide, it's got a little bit of workspace in there to take some notes about what we discover from one another. If you don't have a love to find ink pen, we've got one of those for you so you can, so you can do that. Okay, so think about the messages we've gotten from culture. The temptation will be to, to give us the Sunday school answer. Well, we, we, we're gonna come to the Sunday school answers in a minute, but let's think about what culture has taught us as it relates to love. We get that from, from music, we get it from books, magazines, we get it from movies, television, we get all kinds of messages. Think of some of those, and if you would, raise your hand and give me one of those, one of those messages you've gotten. Does somebody have one? What's one of the messages? Love is a feeling. Love is a feeling, absolutely. Let's get feeling up there. We hear that, there may even be a song to that effect, love is a feeling. Okay, what's another one? What's, what are some of the messages that we get in music? Or, or what are some of the songs? Somebody have another one? Yes. Love yourself, okay? Love yourself first. Now, oh, by the way, Megan is our, she's the wizard behind the curtain. Uh, she's gonna keep us online to, on track today. The, um, um, the difference though is she is a good wizard. She doesn't play tricks on us. Okay, what was another one? We deserve it. We deserve it. Oh, it's deserved. Thank you, Marianne. How about some music? Pat Benatar. What's Pat Benatar tell us? Love is a battlefield. Good answer. What's, a, what, what's another one? Did I see a hand over here? Yes, sir. We fall in love. So in that case, Love tells us, or that, that message tells us, and we all use it, that love is an accident. Love is an accident. The only people that fall on purpose typically are circus clowns and 
they, um, they get paid to do that. We don't typically fall on purpose, so it's got to be an accident. Now, the problem with that is if I fell in love, well, then it's, it's easy to fall out of love. It was an accident. I have no responsibility or ownership in that. Couldn't help it. All right, what are some other messages? Yes. Never having to say you're sorry. So, Megan, just put sorry up there. It's never having to say you're sorry. Kim and I are going to be married 40 years in a week, and I promise you that has not worked for us over 40 years. Yes, ma'am. Love is a choice. Love is a choice. That's a good answer. That's, that's absolutely true, but we're going to put that up there because some of the, some of the messages we get from culture are peppered with truth. That's what gives them a little bit of power, a little bit of, a little bit of credibility. If there's a little bit of truth in there, well then maybe my answer that's a little bit untruthful will work. Do we have a couple others? Yes, ma'am. Love at first sight. So if we can get first sight up there. In that case, there was an attraction. Maybe we can put that up there, Megan, attraction. In order to have love at first sight, there's got to be attraction there. So we're building the relationship based on something other than it's kind of a physical, something I see, something I experience, etc. Yes, sir. One message is that love is earned. Love is earned. We can absolutely put that up there. Uh, in that case, a very good point. Love is a transaction. It's quid pro quo, as my, my buddy JT tells me. It's you, you give to get, you do to earn. And certainly culture teaches us that. Yes, sir. Love is blind. Okay, let's get that up there. Okay, you're doing a good job catching, catching some, of the, uh, some of the culture's voices. Yes, sir. Love never fails. Love never fails. We just sang that. So let's put never fails up there. That is a truth. That's in scripture. But again, truth peppered in with some of culture's voices gives it credibility. I've got a couple over. Yes, sir. Many splendid thing. So put um, splendid up there if you would. Unlike the um, sweetener. Splendid. Okay, I think you had one. We hear it's unconditional, and that is, we've got room for that to get up there, absolutely. Think about, um, yes, sir. Love is needed. We've got room for that. Robert Palmer, is it? Was he the one that's saying, um, what's the addicted? Addicted. Okay, can you sing that for us? Just a few. It's an addiction. Love is an addiction. In that song, he goes on to say, you're, um, the lights are on, but you're not home. Your will or your mind, your mind is not your own. So it's uncontrollable. You've got no say in the matter. So it would be uncontrollable. Do you have one, sir? Well, it's... Uh, uh... I think you got a little bit of it, but it's a physical attraction. It's a physical attraction. It's physical. 
And we're going to, for the, for the little ears in the, in the family, we're going to say it's something you make. Now, moms and dads, you, you, you know where that goes. If we ask the room what making love was, we would all have the same answer. But when we contrast that with what is the definition of love, we wouldn't. I think that's a challenge in the church. I think that's something we've got to fix. That's part of us learning to speak the same language as we explode into the world next year and as we leave the manger this year. Okay, what are some others? It's a two-way street, all right, so put, um, just put street up there, we'll know what that means. Yes, ma'am. Joyous. We're, we're gonna go with her answer and it's joyous, because it is. Obviously, if it was not, we would not pursue it as sometimes viciously as we pursue it. So we're gonna put joyous up there. Yes, ma'am. Love hurts. So hurts goes up there. Love is risky business. How many times have you heard someone say, we, we are afraid to love because I don't want my heart broken? Absolutely. There's a, there's a couple others. Yes, ma'am. Everlasting. Everlasting. I think we've got, do we have that up there yet? We'll put it up there. Just put ever. We'll know what that means. One of the ones I want to get up there for our benefit is culture kind of teaches us that love is effeminate. Now, my son told me last night, don't use that word because I'm not sure what it means. Look it up. But he said, change the word. All right. We're going to say girly. It's not necessarily something that men would sit around and talk about in group. You go back and tell your buddies you talked about love for the weekend, it might be likely to beat you up. Well, I had on a pair of sunglasses the other day. Now, everybody knows that a heart represents what? Love. So when I, I had on a pair of sunglasses, I just picked them up, they were laying there, and they all I could find. And my granddaughter reminded me that those were women's sunglasses. Well, why is that? Because they got hearts on them. So she's been trained already at the age of 11 to think that heart equals love equals girls. We're gonna wrestle with that one in just a little bit. Had a friend, sat with him the other, other day who's struggling in, in a relationship. And he, he said, the spark is gone. So love has a spark connotation. And then he said, there is no passion in the relationship. And I so wanted to tell him to, to come and, and, actually I did tell him, why don't you come to church and we'll talk about that. We're going we're to visit just on that matter this weekend and then he had someplace else to go. But for him, love was, was a spark and it was passion. Now if we pull out Wikipedia, you know, Wikipedia is a, a, a very culturally built definition. If we pull that out, it's going to have 17 pages to explain to us what love is. And when you're done, you may be more confused than when you started, but 
In that, it says love is an ineffable feeling. Does anybody know what ineffable means? I'm not sure what it means, but they're going to use that to describe what love is, and I just thought that was appropriate, so you read it, and you still don't know what it means because they've, they've done that to you. Tina Turner, we talked about, I think we talked about Tina, secondhand emotion. What's love but a secondhand emotion? Okay, look at what you've created. What do you see as a ribbon woven through all of those answers? Is there a, is there a, a thread or is it a jumbled mess? It's a risk. Yeah, if, if, we, if we go there, if, if, as a couple, if you, have different, if you have different or differing definitions of love, I promise you, your relationship is going gonna, is gonna to be rattled quite frequently. The closer we can come to the biblical definition, the more safe we are. One of the threads that, that you see in there is love is about me, what I get, what I deserve, what I want, what will make me happy. Love is oftentimes, and maybe we'll pop that one up there as well, if you've got space. Love is about happy. That's kind of culture's voice. So here is an alternative proposition to consider. I'm pretty sure that God does not want us to be confused on this matter. Scripture is absolutely full of conversation around love. So Paul takes time out, and this is in our worship guide, Paul takes time out to stop and explain it to us. 1 Corinthians 13.4 Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So, for the purpose of today's conversation, Paul gave us about half of those in the negative. He gave us uh, 14, we're going we're to call them demands. He gave us 14 demands. And the reason we call them that is, we have, as we've had discussions around this, thousands of hours of discussions, we've come to the place that we're convinced that we are to demand these things of ourselves. I'm, I'm to demand my character to reflect this. The first one, very clearly, love is patient. Love demands patience. I was once put out of a car on the side of the road in Wildwood off of the turnpike. I had become somewhat impatient with the driver of the car. <clears throat> the driver took control of the situation by driving 55 and a 65. And I said, if you're going to drive like this all the way to Tennessee, you can stop the car and let me out. Well, the driver didn't stop. She waited until she got 40 miles away at this little abandoned gas station, stopped the car. 
And I thought, oh my, I shouldn't have been so bold. My pride would not let me apologize. I couldn't ask for forgiveness, so all I could do is get out of the car, get out with my backpack and my Bible, because I'm a holy man, and sat on the side of the road while my wife drove on to Tennessee. Now, someone would say, well, that wasn't very kind. Well, actually, it was very, very kind because she'd been trying to tell me for years that my impatience was a problem, and I just didn't get the message. She taught me one. The next demand, I am to, de to demand kindness. Love is kind. I've got, I'm going to do a lot of confessing today. And by the way, that's part of the, the deal is, is we have to confess our own sins in this, and very rarely am I, con am I uh, told to confess your sins, although I, I can get pretty good at that but I'm told to confess my sins. Well, I've, I've opened the door for folks to let them walk through, and I get a little perturbed if they don't say thank you. And I will remind them that I was kind to them. And God kind of course corrected me on that and said, okay, if you're doing it, if you're doing it for that reason, it's not kindness. All right, I'll stop it. The next one, Paul tells us that love does not envy. We're going to put it in the positive because we can practice this in the positive. So we're going to put content. Content is a whole different place, a whole different mindset than happy. We're going to, we're going to practice contentment. My buddy Howard made me memorize this verse many years ago, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And I'm so grateful he did that. That reminds me to, to work on contentment. And contentment has nothing to do with circumstance. It has nothing to do with, do we have our Christmas table set properly and are all, all the packages in, in even piles and are all the bows perfect and are all the meals properly put together? No, contentment is just knowing that God is in control. All right, the next demand. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast. If I'm not boasting about me, I wanna be encouraging others. We did an exercise around our office one day, and we asked, who is someone that spoke a word of encouragement into your life? Our team that was around the table could remember where they were, who it was, what they said, in some cases, 30 years prior. Those words of encouragement carried incredible weight. Think about how powerful you can speak into someone's life by speaking words of encouragement. The next demand is love is not proud, so it's humble. It's a choice I make. We have a whole discussion just on humility and understanding who we are in Christ, not who we are because of anything we do. The next demand is uh, Paul tells us that love is not rude, so if love is not rude, it will honor others. We see that show up in the Ten Commandments, honor your mother and father. We see it in other places in Scripture where we're told to honor. Now, that might mean that I have to stop confessing your sins because it dishonors you. I have to confess mine. I can't confess my neighbors. I have to confess mine. All right, the next demand. Love is not self-seeking, so love is selfless. 
Okay, I've got this, I've got a, a personal tool that helps me evaluate how I'm doing in the selfless department. And this tool has eyebrows, and if, if I'm doing poorly, the eyebrows go up. And if I'm doing worse yet, the eyebrows are up and the head gets cocked. And if I'm really messing it up, the eyebrows go up, the head gets cocked, and it goes forward like, are you serious? That Kim is my selfless. She's my selfish meter. She kind of keeps me on track if, if I'm living that out. The next demand. Love does not, uh, well, not yet. Love is not easily angered. So if I'm not easily angered, I'm going to choose to be gentle. Love is gentle. The next one is love keeps no record of wrongs. If I don't keep a record of wrongs, I'm going to forgive. Love demands that I forgive. The next passage says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. I think it's fascinating in that passage that the opposite of truth is actually considered evil. But love demands truth. Had a Russian babushka once tell us, we were in Ukraine teaching this, and the Russian babushka said, truth without love is merely criticism. And what she was saying is, if you just bring truth, but don't bring kindness and gentleness and patience, well, that's just criticism. Then had someone else explain later, and I thought it was a very appropriate and has application, is truth or love without truth isn't love at all. The idea there is, if I'm kind and I'm patient, but I'm not dealing from a position of truth, well, that's not really love. As we explore God's definition, we're going to find that all of these are required for us to live that out. All of them are necessary. All right, the next one. Love always protects. So love demands that I protect. So in your case, what is it or who is it or how is it that that might work? Do you need to protect someone's character? Do you need to protect someone's physical safety? Do you need to protect your children from culture? Think about the different ways that protects works. I was watching a movie, The Blind Side, with Sandra Bullock and uh, it was about Michael Orr. It was on a couple days ago. And in this, she had adopted this young man. He was playing football. He actually went on to play professional football. But in, a, in the course of the game, or in the course of practice, the coach, he was driving the coach crazy because he, he wasn't blocking well. Guys, he, he's just a big, strong guy, and folks were just running past him. Wasn't getting the job done. So the coach was getting frustrated. Coach was losing his patience. So in the movie, Sandra Bullock comes up and says, you need to know your players, coach. She goes out, takes him, and all these other football players around while this, while this mother grabs this great big kid and says, remember, your job is to protect. Now, if somebody were going to hurt me, what would you do? You would protect me. Well, the quarterback, pretend they're me. Protect them. And then she went down the line with all the players. He got it. 
that was, that was his, that was his trigger. He wanted to protect. And the image of that was just very powerful. All right, the next demand. Trust. Now we're gonna put a little twist on that. We're gonna put a little spin on it. I do not want you to automatically trust me. I want you to require the kind of character daily that builds trust. Ultimately, if, you, if everybody pulls out a dollar bill and looks on it, it's going to tell us, in who do we trust? In God we trust. Ultimately, that's where our trust is. But when we talk about, when we teach, when Love Defined teaches about trust, we teach about owning the responsibility to build the kind of character that can be trusted. We don't teach automatically trust everyone. We just, we just don't think that's, that's biblically accurate. So we, we teach it a little bit different than, than you might first think. All right, the next demand is hope. Love always hopes. On those occasions when I'm negative, and I don't have to be negative about my wife, but I'm just negative. I'm grumpy and selfish, and I'm just letting my frustration flow. It becomes a barrier. It upsets Kim. And it doesn't even, it doesn't even have to be about Kim. It can be about me and the world. But if I bring hope, and ultimately, ultimately, if anybody has hope, don't we? Don't we have the ability to share that and bring that to, to people who desperately need it? All right, last but not least, love always perseveres. Love demands that I persevere. In Ephesians, we're told to put on the full armor of God. Put on the, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, the, the, the sword of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. We're told to put on the full armor of God. If you'll read that passage, we don't get anything for our backs. I thought that was kind of interesting. I suspect because God wants us to face the battle. He doesn't want us running when we're not happy or trials come or things, life gets difficult. He wants us, he wants us to battle. You know, that imagery is one of a warrior. He wants us to battle for the people in our lives. Battle in prayer, battle in the way we treat them, battle in the way we control ourselves so that we exhibit love. Okay, for this exercise, notice the difference. It's not there. Where'd it go? Notice the difference between what Scripture teaches us and what culture teaches us. This is huge. As we, as we travel into the world We've got to recognize that there is a voice with a little V that will keep us confused. Then there's God's voice that will give us clarity. The world, well, think of it this way. 
On Christ, the rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Culture's voice is ultimately going to hurt us. It's going to cause confusion. It's going to cause broken relationships. Megan, can you put up our, our passage, please? Matthew 7, 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. If we get our graphic back, please. Narrow gate leads to life. Wide is the road, broad is the that leads to destruction. I thought that verse was just such a sweet uh, tie-in to what it is that we're doing today, reminding us that you know, there is a way to, that leads to life, and we want to embrace that. Let's skip to Philippians 1.9, if you would, please. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. I think this passage, as it relates to our exercise, tells us, now in that passage, if you'll notice, it doesn't say, I pray that your love would abound more and more in passion and emotion. It doesn't tell us to go there. It tells us that it should abound more and more in knowledge, in depth of insight. So that you may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. Okay, so, in, in considering how that applies, some of us in the room may be in, in relationships that are struggling. Maybe your marriage is on a, um, on a scale of one to 10 is a, a four, and you know that God's got a 10 in mind for you. Well, this passage might be a, a great way to reflect and understand what it is you have to, to do to go from a four to a 10. This passage also applies if you've got, if you look just around you, one generation before you, maybe you've had parents that have had struggled in relationships, some of them many, many struggles. Maybe you've got children that have struggled in relationships. Maybe you have brothers, cousins that have on either side of you that have struggled in relationships. Contemplate on this passage and maybe consider if it has application in, the, in those relationships. And I would almost guarantee it does. So God tells us if our love abounds more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, we will be able to discern what is best. I'm particularly excited that there would be teenagers in here. God wants, he wants your protection. And he, he gives us very clear instruction on what we have to weave around us to protect our children, our grandchildren, our sisters, our brothers. Now, we've unpacked, picture a 55 gallon drum. My buddy David Keyes talks about the orange juice industry that's, that collects juices from all these many bushels of oranges. They, they waste nothing. The pulp gets dried out and they use it for cattle feed. They extract an oil from the peel 
and they collect that and they sell it to French perfume companies. This oil sells for $250,000 for a 55-gallon drum. Talked about one guy who spilled the drum one time. So tonight, or today, we've, we've, un we've, un we've opened the lid and we've only taken out three ounces of that 55-gallon drum. There is so much more to consider as it relates to what God says about love. Not so much in defining it, but unpacking it and figuring out how do we live it out. The first key is making sure we're all speaking the same language. One thought of summary. What if sin wasn't the list of rules that we spoke about earlier that we keep or we don't keep? We feel bad because, or we were told that this is a sin. What if sin was simply not loving the way God instructs us, instructs us to love? The invitation is to think about how do we live that out? How do we love the way God told us to love? And in, if I can put my glasses back on, let's read that passage one more time. Just as a reminder, if I speak in the tongue of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection is in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love.